0: The rest of us we will be uh, taking a look this morning in the Gospel of John. This is ancient account of the story of the person of Jesus Christ, uh, uh, a man who walked on this earth and who deal, dealt with real people and whose relationships had real consequences. And today we find him in this story as he is being encouraged and then eventually goes back to Jerusalem, a a city that he came and and he dropped a a bombshell in by doing a a healing on the Sabbath and and he left a city in turmoil with the religious establishment angry and confused and, and the populace wondering just who this was, it was a polarized and confused city as he skirted out of town and went to a new city. But it's now the Feast of the Booze, a big national celebration. And as the country comes and gathers together for a week-long celebration of how God has provided for them in the past, Jesus must confront this chaotic situation that he had left behind. So if you would, would join with me. In John chapter 7, and we'll start here in verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee, and he would not go about in Judea, where Jerusalem was, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, so his brothers said to him, "'Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may also see the works that you are doing.' For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. And Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast, I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. And the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there there was much muttering about him among the people. And some said, he is a good man. And others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple, and he began teaching. And the Jews, therefore, marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? And so Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, then he will know whether the teaching is from God, or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true." And in him there is no falsehood. Has Moses not given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered him, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry at me? Because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And so some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this man is this is not this the man whom they seek openly to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him, and they said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? This is the word of the Lord. Join with me in prayer. Lord God, as you spoke to these people... People who were confused about who you were and confused about the life that you were inviting them towards, Lord. You chose to show up that they might believe, that they might hear a word of truth, that they might see that there is life on the other side of you. God, I pray as we read these words that you would convince our hearts and our minds, Lord, that there is nothing better than the life that you offer us. your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Whitney and I, uh, when we were uh, college students, we lived in in downtown Chicago. And uh, one of our first uh, winters there, first falls there, there's an annual big to-do. It's on Michigan Avenue, which if you've ever been to Chicago, is this very popular touristy street filled with all the All the shops and stores, uh, they call it Magnificent Mile. And so every year as the Christmas season approaches and around Thanksgiving time, they have a big parade that we call the lighting, right? And they would have all all the parade come down and then Santa Claus finally comes down. And as he goes down the street, he is waving his hands and the lights of all the trees and buildings are coming on block by block, by block, as he does it. It's a major event, a major celebration, and so we eagerly grabbed our Starbucks and and headed down to to Michigan Avenue, which was just a a few blocks from where we lived, anxious to see, anxious uh, to to see what this curiosity was all about, what this to-do was, but as we came across the corner onto Michigan Avenue, we saw that this crowd was massive. Like, it was it was big. It was sandwiched between these police barriers on the, the street and the, the physical building themselves, right? There was very little room and there was a whole lot of people. Yet, you know, if after you've spent a few months living in a big urban area, you get used to not having any personal space, right? You've been jam-packed into a subway before or a bus, and so, we plunged into this crowd, but as the moment of the parade starting got closer, the, the crowd filled in more and more and, and more, and and pretty soon you, you, you couldn't move, right? And then uh, pushing through the crowd came this police officer trying to, to move or, or to lo- move someone a- along the way, and the crowd condensed into such a tight squeeze I'm fairly certain I could pick up my feet and not fall down. It was sandwiched and pressurized and pushed as, as the crowd moved us against our will, somehow away from our perch on the street corner and pushed us all the way back until we were up against a building in the back of the crowd. We came because we were curious to see these lights, but the obstacles of the crowd got in the way. Over the last few weeks, we've taken a look at various stories of Jesus interacting with the people and and Jesus coming alongside and revealing little bits and pieces about what a life of faith in him looks like. And we've wrestled with some of the, the major internal and obvious difficulties that believing in Jesus entails, the ridiculousness of the story, the frightening claims it makes about us and about our true nature, right? The, the impossible level of reliance on somebody else to care for our needs. But today's story is about this curious crowd, this crowd that is wrestling somewhere between he's a good man and somewhere between he is leading people astray, but their view of Jesus Their understanding of who he was is blocked by an angry and rambunctious and contentious crowd. A crowd with uh, many other things on their mind than just who this Jesus was. So this morning we're going to walk along with this crowd as we try to get a glimpse of Jesus. And we're going to take a look ...at just who the parties are that are shoving around in this crowd and pushing uh, us to the back. We're going to look at the shoves of the crowd. We're going to look at, the therefore, the plight of the curious, of those who want to catch a glimpse of Jesus. And finally, we're going to consider just what this light is and what it looks like. So first, the shoves of the crowd... The story opens with an unusual uh, introduction. The family of Jesus does not often make uh, a lot of appearances in the Gospels of Jesus, and it tells us here of this interaction that he has uh, with his siblings, his presumably his biological brothers or sisters, perhaps both, as they have just watched Jesus lose a whole lot of disciples. In the ancient Near East, your family's name meant just about everything to you. And as they considered this brother, this brother they didn't know what to make of, but they knew he made them very popular for a minute and then lost all those people. And perhaps that's why they're anxious and they exert him and they push him, they shove him to go to Jerusalem because they think, here's the opportunity. Here, Jesus can go and he can do some more of that healing stuff he likes to do. Jesus can go and he can perform maybe a miracle or two. He can preach a sermon to the crowds. And if he does this right, if we play our cards right, then our name will be made great in the world. They say go to Judea, but it says in verse 5 that they didn't believe in him. They believed that he could do some things, but they didn't believe in the purpose for which he was there. They were all for Jesus. They were pro-Jesus, but they were pro-Jesus for the sake of their tribe. Today, if you or I is wrestling with faith in Jesus, as we're trying to conceptualize what it looks like to follow after Jesus we too have a myriad of voices, loud voices, that push us around in the crowd, push us to be pro-Jesus, but they don't teach us to be pro-Jesus because of belief in what he's doing, but because of how it advances um, themselves. Just this last week, right at a a, uh, Christian event called Truth Matters, a prominent uh, evangelical pastor took to the stage and, and was sitting with, a, uh, with some of his colleagues, right? And the question was asked of him about a, a popular woman who's a Bible teacher who holds conferences and, and who has for many years ministered faithfully God's message to the people. But you see, the problem is is that this pastor doesn't agree with the way that she views uh, the roles between genders, Christ's church and so he looked at her and and they asked him they said give us a a two-word answer give us a just a one or two pithy response when we say a name or we say a concept you tell us what it makes you think of right and so they said her name they said uh, okay here's a first one for you Uh, Beth Moore And in that moment, uh, he didn't say, Beth Moore, daughter of the king. In that moment, he didn't say, Beth Moore, gifted Bible teacher. He didn't say, Beth Moore, faithful servant. He said, go home. And following after that was this banter between the three uh, panelists as they tried to one-up one another At sliding and belittling and sarcastically uh, pigeonholing this dear woman, dehumanizing her, slandering her as a narcissist, comparing her to a a person uh, who sells jewelry on an infomercial. And while they were saying in all this that they were advancing the cause of Jesus, that they were pro-Jesus, it became pretty obvious that their concern was not the Bible's teaching on men and women. What they were defending was themselves. What they were saying was not only not true, it was slightful and hateful and mean. They were pro-Jesus, but at least in that moment, they were not pro-Jesus for the cause of Jesus. They were pro-Jesus because it made them look better, feel better, have content. But it's not just the pro-Jesus crowd, but there's an anti-Jesus crowd that ironically bears a striking resemblance. The rulers, the rulers who after Jesus had... Uh, performed a miracle on the Sabbath, this day of rest when no one was to do work. And yet Jesus had come and told uh, a man who was paralyzed, and he said, get up and walk. And the man had dutifully responded and obeyed to what Jesus had said, and it sent the rulers into a tizzy. You see, the Sabbath was a central part of, of the Jewish law, and its, its institution was vital to the communities. Uh, orientation it is after all the sabbath that the people would come and listen to the rulers as they spoke and talked and so it's not very hard to see why they viewed jesus as a threat to their power and their ability it is for this very reason that they lie in wait in verse 11 for jesus to come to the feast of the booths they're looking for him where is he they have another, are also trying to protect their own tribe, trying to protect themselves by, but not by being pro Jesus, but by being anti Jesus, right? And if you are going to come to faith in America today, you don't just have to deal with the, the loud religious voices that are promoting themselves, you have to deal with loud anti Jesus voices, right? And we could pick a, 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 any number of illustrations, right, but we'll just go with this week's news, right? Well, if we skip all the way over to, to London this week, we see this uh, a, a curious little incident where uh, Chick-fil-A had opened a, has opened a, a little uh, temporary pop-up, a six-month, signed a six-month lease in a mall, right, to uh, try to expand their chicken goodness uh, to the European continent. And of course, as, as you all have heard and on the state side for several years, it was met with with immediate backlash, right? This backlash of of Chick-fil-A that it 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 is this hate-filled group, that it's a group that is serving uh, their chicken, quote, with a, a side of hate, right? You remember this story, the news story that came out several years ago was as the founder was asked in an interview about same-sex marriages, and and he responded uh, with his honest convictions, and it was demoralized, and 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 it soon there was sit-ins and and stand-ins and and kiss-ins in and, and, uh, offense to him, right? And so as Chick Fil A opened into this new city, a city uh, that was uh, is is centered on a, a different cultural moment than our own. It was met with immediate and fierce backlash, so much so that eight days after opening the mall, just this last week, decided we will not uh, renew their contract, right? We'll not renew the lease for next year because it was, quote, the right thing to do. Now, I don't think that there's any question uh, that if you're a person who has been marginalized and hurt by same-sex dialogue in America that you uh, w- might definitely want not feel comfortable in a Chick-fil-A. There's reasons that I don't agree with some of the institutions that Chick-fil-A has given money to in the past, right? There's a, a nuance and careful thing here, but, but what's interesting is reading some of the the, the the dialogue of what was happening, right? Because it wasn't that Chick-fil-A uh, It's not like Chick-fil-A was running advertisements in the country, right? Chick-fil-A didn't have a slogan uh, or a sign on their door, uh, no gays welcome, right? They were asked in a very private setting and they responded honestly. They took some of their money and they gave it to institutions. This is hardly a, a large and vocal opposition And yet, in their explanation of why you should never go to Chick-fil-A, and in fact, Chick-fil-A is not welcome here in Reading, not in the UK, and nowhere in Europe is Chick-fil-A welcome. Why? Because the Christian faith is baked into the brand's DNA, is the quote. It's kind of like they don't deserve to exist, isn't it? It's kind of like the crowd is saying, Jesus, when I see him as he is, he's so distasteful. And he pushes against the power structures of the world so much that he does not deserve to exist in our world. They're taking up the cause of the Pharisees that say, I can't, not just as he knew and I don't like him. They're saying he can't exist in our city at all. And if you are going to believe in Jesus, you are going to have to wrestle with uh, the pro-Jesus crowd that wants to gain fame and notoriety. But you're also going to have to deal with an anti-Jesus crowd that belittles and mocks the very idea that Jesus could change us. Sweeping statements about Jesus have been made and you can see that it has a dire effect on the crowd. It's kinda like the streets as you come around are already full of people. People who don't want you and nor do they care if you can see the actual lights of the Christmas parade because they have their own agendas. Which leads us to our next thing. What does these warring and contesting implications have for those who are curious? Those who have come and they want to know Is this Jesus something? Is he worth it? Is he a threat to our society? They want to know about Jesus, but they can't make room because of this crowd. A crowd that affects them in at least two different ways. First, the the crowd infuses this honest question with the tactic of fear. Fear. Tells us in verse thirteen that while these people are debating, right, is he a good man, and others are saying he leads people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. The the people, the curious, were there, and they're well aware of the dislike for Jesus, or perhaps the distortion of Jesus. And they're afraid to be caught talking about it because what if they're talking and musing on the wrong side? What about if in their deliberations, in their processing of the information, they say something that leans too, too much one way or leans too heavily on the other? The fear controls the group that you see in verse 20. There's, it's almost like this, this denial ...that this could possibly be the case. In verses uh, 25 and 26, we see the people... Uh, ...when you see fear in a group of people... ...you see uh, these kind of croppings up of, of these conspiracy theories, right? Maybe, maybe the Jews really know he's a Christ... ...but they're trying to deceive us intentionally, right? The people's fear, the effect of fear... ...as these people are genuinely trying to wrestle is obvious. And I think you probably feel some of that fear yourself, right? If we're to talk and, and have honest dialogue about the, the real things that Jesus actually said, one side who's trying to protect themselves will come and they will lash out at you with, a, with hatred and, and bigotry. And on the other side, if you question And you doubt or you're afraid. There's a whole other religious side that will come with an equally big hammer and equally concerned to protect themselves, to beat and to harass. And thus, both you're afraid to speak honestly at church and you're afraid to speak honestly in public. You're afraid to consider that maybe this Christ is the Son of God. And of the many tragedies uh, that we can see here, it is the tendency that we see in verse in 13. There's a tendency to, to just shut up and shy away. To not honestly wrestle with the questions because the fear of the extremes weighs on you. But the thing, second plight of the curious is not just that fear has blocked in the way, but it is confusion. Right, The confusion of just who Jesus was because their questions were legitimate. The Sabbath, as much as we might laugh away at their concern, the Sabbath was very important. It's very important it's central to the, the the to God's law in the Old Testament it's central to God's creation in the Old Testament and it is very very central to the life of a Jew Palestinian Jew in Israel in the 1st century Jesus doing what he did raised real questions and when they hear the half truths of the various crowds being argued aloud they they, they don't know what to believe and it's interesting to see how Jesus enters into this space Jesus as he comes into this space he sets an entirely different tone the crowds on either side are, are arguing for their glory and their self importance and yet Jesus his response is not to debate them at first but to say here I am Jesus says to them, if anyone's will is to do God's will, then he will know whether the teaching I'm giving you is from God or from another. And he'll know because he can tell this distinctive quality, I'm not pursuing my own power. I'm not seeking my own glory. I'm not seeking my own safety. In fact, Jesus has entered into a deathly perilous situation. Jesus, instead of proclaiming that I uh, am the, 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 uh, the one who is right in all things, Jesus comes and he says, God has a plan. Now, we'll c- c- come to see and we'll come to understand the relationship of Son and Father and the Trinity, but Jesus' communication, the authenticity that what his desire for them is life and faith is evidenced in the fact that he's not coming to be a strong man. He's not coming to obligate. He's not coming with the tools of fear and confusion, but simply this. I've come to make God known. But then he also uh, comes not with self-glory or self-importance, but yet he does take seriously the concerns that they have. Jesus picks up uh, in this, it feels very choppy to, to modern readers here, right? But he, he goes and he says, now what is it that these Jews have been saying about me, that I don't take the law seriously, well, those same Jews are trying to murder, which happens to be one of the Ten Commandments. So perhaps, perhaps there's a, a log in their own eye, right? Perhaps that they are not taking it seriously, but, but think about this. And he gives a test case. The law requires that on the eighth day after a baby was born that they would be circumcised. A work that the Jews considered to be a work. Yet there was a conundrum, right? Do you keep the Sabbath or do you circumcise the baby? The law said to do both. And so the people said, Well, sh- apparently circumcision's more important than the Sabbath, so we will circumcise on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, If you're willing to do that little sign, perform this one little act of, of circumcision to, to make that baby in right relationship, in right standing before God, how much more am I fulfilling the Sabbath? Not taking away the Sabbath, but. Fulfilling the Sabbath, fulfilling all that's good in the Sabbath by bringing life to the whole body of a person. Jesus deals with their questions honestly because he's there without pretense. He's there without concerns. He's there without needing to beat his own drum or toot his own horn. Jesus is there because he wants the people to see God. Jesus is there in the midst of a confusing and frightening time to cut through the, 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 the crowd that is pushing and shoving to present himself to the people that they might have life. As Whitney and I were uh, standing there in the, on the side of Michigan Avenue and as the crowd pushed us farther and farther away from the street, we eventually ended up... Uh, by the, the building, a building that's next door, a, some, a shop, I don't even remember what it was, but the door was open. And so we quickly got away from the pushing and the shoving, we escaped into the store, right? And we hid out inside the store because the pushing and the shoving was so confusing and so uh, honestly frightening, that's how t- people get trampled to death, right? And so we went in the store and we spent an hour or two looking at knickknacks and, and clothes or, or whatever it was. We killed time until it was safe to go back outside. The fear of the crowd pushed us away from being able to see this lighting that had happened. And I think for probably more than one of us, Life in this world has kind of been that way. The crowd that you've interacted with church, the church that you grew up with, the, the 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 dishonesty, the lack of ability to wrestle with questions, the lack of ability to deal with the messiness of this life, the fear and the confusion and the misnaming and the half-truths have pushed you such to a place that To consider faith in Jesus is something you can't even see anymore. Or perhaps the the pushing and the shoving of the anti-Jesus crowd has made it to the point that that to consider uh, becoming a Christian is so foreign and alien and impossible that you can't fathom it anymore. And yet Jesus continues to show up in the story. Because the light is not there, it's not affected by the pushing and shovings of this world. Whitney and I were pushed into the shop, but eventually once we decided it was safe to go back outside, we, we came out of the doors. And when we came out of the doors of the shop and back out onto the street of Michigan Avenue, the crowds had, had cleared. And what we came out to was this magical enchanted land, right? The cool breeze, the hot coffee, the lights that twinkled all around us. You see, the thing happened was that while we were pushed and shoved to the side, while we were afraid and confused, Santa Claus marched right down the street, right? Turning on the lights. Because he was there to bring our enjoyment. He was there for us, even when we were not for him. We left and we abandoned, we gave up on the question because the lights just seemed too hard to stick around to see, but Jesus comes and he brings the light into the world and it is there and it is open and it is willing if you just come out outside. If you can confront the fears and the doubts and the confusion, if you come to wrestle not with those who yell his name so loudly, but to come and deal with A God who uh, is not silent Nor does he toot his horn on a megaphone He doesn't come into the crowd with self-promotion or self-abasement He doesn't come out of self-defense Or out of a martyr syndrome Jesus comes to the crowd because he desperately wants them to see him And while the religious and the anti-religious Shove and push for power Jesus comes for you because his desire is is that we might believe in him and that by believing we may have life in his name the story ends in verse 31 as a few of the folks who risked the danger of the shoving crowds got to see the beauty of Of a Jesus that came for them. A Jesus who came and he will bring correction and encouragement. He'll bring change, but he'll bring stability. He'll bring doubt at first, but he'll bring hope and comfort in the end. A Jesus who lived in real time and place to deal with the real problems and fears and doubts of his people. And so if you are here this morning and you have a sneaking suspicion that maybe there's just maybe there's more to Jesus than him being a rallying cry for the religious powerful or a whipping post for the irreligious powerful. If maybe, just maybe, Jesus invites you to faith, not for uh, some twisted power play, but that you might know him, that life might be the way it ought to be. Here in this text, we have a Jesus who came for the curious, a Jesus who risked violence and defamation, a Jesus who risked the Judases who would stab him in the back, a Jesus who risked being misrepresented, mistreated, a Jesus who risked being dismissed as, as being misguided, who came that we might know him. And he has made himself known. The invitation to us is to not listen to the voices of those who seek their own power, but to listen to the voice who laid down his power for us. Pray with me. Father, we come to you, Lord, because you are unlike any other claim of our life or any other claim of a religious system or a claim uh, of an irreligious system. You're completely different in the way you move and the way you work than the way we think the world naturally works because you God are not of this world but came speaking the words of the Father that we might know you and that we might know him Lord I pray that you would give us the faith to believe the courage to see you as you are and to be submissive and respond as you call us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.